Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. Well, as y'all know, if you've been with us for a while, for the past few weeks, we have been moving through the book of Genesis. And, you know, we've been, our church is about three years old now, and we've had several different sermons and series, and I have heard so many great feedback from this, pa- this passages that we've been going through. People have been saying, you know, I've read Genesis before, but God has shown me some things that I have never seen before. I had someone this morning just tell me, I didn't realize that this passage was as, these passages were as practical as they are. And that's so encouraging because that's exactly what this book is meant to be. It's, it's to be a fundamental book, teachings, that were written for our benefit uh, as disciples of Jesus. And just as a review, I want to remind us that we began in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 with God's design. We have a, a slide for that. We have for, with God's design. Everything in the beginning God had a design for. He created it to glorify himself. It was like creation was a mirror. And at the end of creation, at the end of the six days, God stands in front. It's like God steps back and he stands in front of that mirror. And it says that he saw that it was very good. In other words, he saw his reflection in what he had created. And that's what creation was created for, was to glorify him, to reveal who he is. And God looked at it and he says, man, it's perfect. It's perfect. There's nothing that needs to be changed. That's where he leaves us at the end of chapter 2. But then last week we talked about chapter 3 and sin Sin entered into the picture because there was a serpent, the devil, Satan. He convinced Adam and Eve to rebel against God. And so sin entered into the world, and when it came into the world, it brought brokenness with it. And we have been dealing with brokenness ever since Adam and Eve's decision to eat of the fruit. And those arrows that are pointing up represent how we as humans, we know that we're broken, And there's something in all of us that's seeking to find answers and to find salvation, and we're always looking for them. But notice that those arrows are pointing not towards God. Man is bent on finding their own solution apart from God. And so when we're dealing with our sinful tendencies, this passage that we're in this morning is going to give us three sinful sinful tendencies that we need to be aware of, that we need to be aware that we inherited these sinful tendencies from our parents, Adam and Eve. And the first sinful tendency that we tend uh, to go towards is that we, we like to play a game. We like to play hide and seek. How many, how many of you have never played hide and seek in your life? Just We were all, that's like a universal game. I was online Looked up hide-and-seek. Did you know there's a such thing as professional hide-and-seek? Th- this world is crazy now. I mean, there's, you, you can get paid to play hide-and-seek now. Uh, it's amazing. All the ga- There's professional rock, paper, scissors, and uh, Uno. Uno uh, is a professional game nowadays. Well, the first game that 
humans played was hide and seek. And last week we saw that when Adam and Eve took of the fruit immediately, it says that their eyes were open and they realized they were naked. Now they'd been naked the entire time, but when they took of the fruit, they became aware of their nakedness. And it says that they tried to take some fig leaves and, and sew them together and, and cover themselves. And one of the consequences that we need to understand about sin is that it makes you self-conscious. It makes you aware of yourself. Before the fall, before anything ever happened, happened Adam and Eve, 24-7, their hearts, their minds, their souls, their spirits were all about serving and loving God and loving one another. They, weren't aware, they were so involved in God and one another that they didn't look down and realize that they were naked. They never felt shame. But then sin enters into the world, and sin makes you aware of yourself. That's why you, people don't like to speak in public. That's why when I say, hey, can you read this scripture, people are like, um, I'm going to be busy that week. Or that's why when you're walking through the mall and you pass a mirror, you look at yourself, right? Am I the only? I don't do that either. But some people do that. It's why this morning, before you came to church, you changed your outfit three times because you wanted to make sure that you didn't wear the same thing this week that you wore last week. Not that anyone would really probably notice it, but we want to make sure that we don't look bad in front of people. That, that's in all of us because it brings the feelings of shame and nakedness. This, this is what came from the fall. And because of sin, Adam and Eve are now aware of their nakedness. They're aware of themselves. And then and in verse 8, it says, And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Now notice what's happening here. Notice what God is doing says that God is walking. He's not running. He's not eager to bring punishment. He's not stomping in a fit of rage. Have you ever wondered why you do that? Have you ever stomped out of the room and slammed the door? God's not doing that in this passage. It says that he was walking in the cool of the day. The cool of the day can be translated in the breeze of the day. It has this connotation to it that it seems like Adam and Eve regularly met with God, either early in the morning or late in the evening. Maybe it was both. And, you know, as I was thinking about this, I bet you when Adam and Eve first were created and before the fall, when they met with him, they were eager to see him. They would run out to him and meet with him, kind of like a, a toddler when mom or dad comes home from work, just excited to see you unless... What? They've done something wrong, right? If, if your toddler doesn't meet you at the door, you know something's happened th during the day. But after the fall, when Adam and Eve hear God, God hasn't changed. They have. And the lens through which they see God has been darkened. It's been cracked. And so the way they see God is not right. You need to be aware that we're born with that lens, that the way that we see God before we come to Christ is broken. It's not clear. And they're afraid of God for the first time. And instead of running to God, they run from him. 
They're trying to hide because they are afraid. And so we need to also understand that, that, is, that that's your tendency. That is what your natural tendency is when you sin. It is to cover yourself, run, and to hide from God. And I remember a few years ago, it's been several years ago, that I heard a story about two children that were playing around a construction site. Uh, I think evidently they were not supposed to be there, but they were playing around the construction site, and one of the children fell down into a hole that was filled with water. And the, the child that did not fall into the hole, instead of running to someone that could help, he ran away and hid because he thought he was going to be in trouble if he told them what had happened. And sadly, the child that fell into the hole lost their life. It's a very tragic story, but it's a picture of what we're like whenever we are afraid. We run away. Where did, we, where did this child that I just told you about, where did he get this from? Where do we get that from? Well, it's, we got it from Adam and Eve. It's built into our nature. When we sin, we run and hide. But you know, the truth is, you can run from God but you can't hide, right? Just like when Jonah tried to run from God. Psalm 139, verses 7 through 12 says, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my, make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea... Even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. We need to understand that God sees everything. And this is good news, isn't it? It can be. It should be. It's good news that God sees everything. We're never alone. And no matter what we do, whether it's good or evil, we never do it in private. You never do anything in private. One time I heard a sermon that said, you know, whatever we do, we need to understand it's like we're standing right in the throne room of God, right before his throne, right before him and the heavenly hosts. And he sees everything that's going on. And when Adam and Eve tried to hide, God, God saw them. He knew where they were, they were. And I imagine them, Adam, Adam and Eve, to be like, again, like toddlers who are playing hide and seek, who take a blanket, you know, and just like cover themselves with it, but their arm is sticking out or, or their leg is sticking out. And, but you can just see them under there and... They think, well, because I can't see mom and dad, they can't see me. And that's how we can be with God, isn't it? Just because you can't see God does not mean that he can't see you because even the darkness is not dark to God. God sees everything. And so they're trying, because of their shame and their fear, they're trying to avoid God. In verse 9, it says, but... They're trying to hide but the Lord 
God called to the man. Okay, this is a good, good thing. It's a good thing when God's calling to you. That is a good sign when God's calling to you. He said to him, where are you? Now, this teaches us a lot about God right now, this, this one sentence here. Because God knew what they had done, right? And he knew where they were. So my question to you is, why is he saying, where are you? Is it for his benefit? No, it's for their benefit. Because God is going to reveal, as we move through this passage, he's going to reveal that he is not seeking to destroy them. God is not about to just, he's not trying to find them. Like, I see you under there, you get out. It's time for a whooping. He's not doing that in this passage. He's coming to them because there are going to be consequences, but ultimately he's not going to try to destroy them. He has a plan to restore them. And we need to, we need to understand that about God, that when he calls your name, you need to run out of that grave to him. And what is he wanting Adam to do? He's wanting him to own up, to be a man, and to own up to what he did, to confess to what he had done. Now, is that what Adam does? Does he fully confess what he did? Well, his response is going to reveal the second truth about our human nature, and that is we like to beat around the bush. We like to beat around the bush. Verse 10, it says, And he said, Adam said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. All right, let's examine that together. Let's, exa- let's break this part. Is this true? Number one, I heard the sound of you in the garden. Is that true? Yes. He heard the sound. Sa- I'm not going to try to trick you, okay? Did, they, did, they, did he hear the sound of him in the garden? Yes. Okay, thank you, Steve. That's true. And I was afraid. Was Adam, Adam, Adam and Eve afraid? Yes. Okay. Because I was naked. Is that why he was afraid? No, it's, that's, not, that's not why. Okay, and God knows that. He was afraid and he hid not because he was naked, but because he was guilty. He knew he was guilty. His conscience had been turned on. He'd never felt this from his conscience because he had done everything that God had commanded him. But God has given us this wonderful tool called the conscience that we need to take care of that can help us to know if we're right with God. It can lie to us too, and we're not going to get into that this morning, but his conscience is bothered right now, and he knows he's not right. And so God, in verse 11, patiently presses in a little bit more. God said, who told you that you were naked? He's getting specific now. Who told you you were were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? That is a horrible feeling, isn't it? When you know the person that's asking you questions knows that what you did. I remember one time when I was at, uh, in college, there was a class that I was just doing horribly, and I was failing it. And so I was like, I'm going to drop this class. But it was kind of past the point where you could drop it. So this is a bad story, but I'm going to confess it anyway. So I was just like, I'm going to go to the, I guess it was the dean, 
and see if, if I can if I can fail. And he was like, "So why uh, why do you want to drop this class?" I was like, "You know, I don't I don't really need it. It's not something I need from a major. I've got a really busy semester." And he went, "Is it because you're failing it?" I was like, "Oh yeah, that's what God does here." He said, "Have you eaten from the tree?" Now, if Adam if Adam was a man, if he was going to be a man, what would he have done? He would have owned it, wouldn't he? He would have said, yes, Lord. I disobeyed you. I rebelled against you. I took the fruit from my wife. It's not her fault. I took it, and I ate it. I rebelled against you. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. I miss you, God. That's what he would have said. But that's not what he does. And, and his next response is going to show us the third truth about human nature that we need to avoid, and that is that we like to play tag. You know the game tag, where you're running after somebody? You're it. And tag, you're it. And in order to get it off of you, you got to tag somebody else. And then go, tag, you're it, and you run away free. Well, that's what Adam's going to try to do in verse 12. The man said, well, let's go back. God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman, Mm, the woman, whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of, uh, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. What's he doing here? He's tagging his wife with it. Not only is he tagging his wife, who is he tagging else also? He's using kind of this logical confession. Yes, yes, I did eat of the fruit. Okay, I'm going to admit that. But it's not my fault. It's that woman that you gave me. Yeah, that's the reason I did it. Tag, you're it. And so, you know, it amazes me. This passage teaches us a lot about God. It amazes me how patient God is with Adam. It it, it amazes me how patient God is with me. So patient. He's like, wait, hold on. I mean, if it was me, if I was God, I'd be like, hold on. You're saying it's my fault? I get just back in chapter two, you were like, oh, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, awesome present that you gave me, God. Now he's like, you know, that woman. She brought us down. It's her fault. God is so patient, though, here. And he doesn't, he doesn't force him to make a confession. Now, he has given a partial confession, and so he moves on to the woman. Let's hear, ladies, let's see how the ladies do in this, okay? Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. Now, it's true that the serpent deceived her. But she's not taking full responsibility. She's blaming it on the serpent, isn't isn't she? Once again, she is blame-shifting. She's tagging the serpent. She's not fully owning her part in what had happened. She said, I ate of the fruit, but the devil... Basically, she's saying, the devil what? The devil made me do it. The devil made me do it. But we need to understand something. And we said, I think we said this last week. But sin, when you sin, you need to understand something. When you sin, it's always a choice. Sin is always a deliberate 
choice to do something against what God has clearly said not to do or clearly not to obey him in something he has told you to do. We need to understand that. If we're going to get out of this brokenness, we've got to learn how to own our sin. We've got to learn to confess what we own own in the situation that we're in. But listen, by nature, this passage is teaching us that that's not natural. That is not natural. And we've got to go against that. So after questioning Adam and Eve, God begins to deliver the consequences for each of their decisions. And this teaches us something about God. It teaches us that God doesn't play our games. God doesn't play games. He's very serious about sin. He's very serious about dealing with sin. And we need to remember that when we sin, when we choose to sin, there will be consequences. And so in verse 16, God reveals two consequences to Eve. Two consequences that are going to affect her and are going to affect women throughout the rest of of history. Verse 16, it says, to the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Childbearing, which can also include raising children. Okay, it's not just having the child, it's raising the child is going to be difficult, is what, uh, what God is saying here. And listen, child, child having a baby is painful. Not, don't act, I'm not because of I know it, but because I've seen it, okay? It's one of those things that at, when we've had it six times, right? And it's amazing how beforehand we're like, we want to have children. Oh, we're going to have children. Oh, it's showing. Oh, praise God. Yay. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm about to, I'm, I'm feeling some pains down there. You're still excited, right? And then you get to the, to the delivery room. And man, I don't know what happens, but there's some kind of pain that's going on that is so excruciating. I look over and she's like, you did this to me. I'm not making this up. I mean, it's like, yeah, why? The serpent, the serpent made me do it. You know, it's one of those things, it's like, I don't know, I promise I'll never do that again. And so, and then the baby comes out, you know, and oh, praise God. You know, the song gets back. It's like, okay, yeah, yeah. I did, yeah, I did this. So anyway, it's one of those things that childbearing is painful. And secondly, he says, your desire shall be contrary to your husband. Your desire for your husband, uh, I'm sorry. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Now, what is that talking about there? Your desire shall be contrary to your husband. Now, remember, before the fall, they were perfect. God commissioned both the man and the woman to be fruitful and multiply and to fill the earth and subdue it. Now, he had Adam to lead and Eve to come alongside, but it was to be done together as a team. There was no fighting. There was no conflict between the man and woman. But God is saying right here that your desire will be contrary to your husband or that you will have this Something in you that desires to control your husband, that desires to control the situation, to to conquer him. You won't naturally want him to be over you. That's what he's saying here. What was natural 
Remember, God took Eve out of, out of Adam's rib to be alongside of him. He says, that's not going to be natural. And he says, also, the man will rule over you. Now, this is not a passage that legitimizes male dominance. I think if you've been in our church long enough, we've preached about this on several occasions. You should know that, but just in case you, you haven't been here, this is not a passage that, that God is saying, and I'm giving the man to rule over you now. What he's saying is this is going to be a product of the fall. We know, as, as we hear in our culture and other cultures, that men have abused women. They have dominated women in ungodly ways. This is what God is talking about here. He says, because of your sin, this is going to be a consequence that you're going to have to deal with the rest of your life. Childbearing and child raising is going to be painful, and the relationship in your marriage is going to change. You're going to have struggles and battles within your marriage that you would not have had otherwise. And so after addressing Eve, God turns to Adam, and he says in verse 17, And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. In other words, Adam, because you did not follow my order, the order that reflects me. Because you did not lead, you submitted yourself to your wife and you disobeyed me. I want you to understand that all the work that was easy for you in the garden, everything you did in the garden, it was like you had the Midas touch. It turned to gold. It was not difficult. It was joyful. It had no thorns. It had no problems in it. He says, from now on, your work is going to be difficult. It's going to be frustrating. I think if any of us are, have work we can fully say amen. We experience this curse on a daily basis. And let me make sure I'm clear here. God isn't saying that work is a curse. Okay? That's not what he's saying here. God had Adam work in the garden before the fall. He's saying that your work will be cursed, not that work is a curse. And it's going to be filled with trials and frustrations. Well, let's review one more time. Uh, from the slides that we had at the beginning. I want to make sure that we understand that, that God had a design. Adam and Eve sinned. It led us to brokenness apart from God and to a situation, a brokenness that we can't fix. Okay, we need to understand that you cannot fix your brokenness apart from God. We, we try to, but, but we can't. And this is going to lead us to the gospel. This is going to lead us to the gospel. Now, the gospel is very strong in this passage. Very strong in this passage. Gospel means, what does gospel mean? Good news, good news. Now, listen, we need some good news in this passage, don't we? Because everything up to this point is bad news. It's just, you know, pain and suffering and conflict. And it's, it's interesting in verse 14 that after talking with Adam and Eve, that God turns to the serpent and he curses him. He says, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, 
and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Now, we need to notice something here. God does not talk to the serpent. He doesn't ask him any questions. He is not giving Satan or the demons an opportunity to repent or to return to him. Let that sink in. Satan did a very similar thing that Adam and Eve did. But God doesn't turn to him and go, so what did you do? He gives judgment with no hope of repentance. What does that say about us? Because that's not what God does for us. Verse 15, he says, and this is interesting, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, speaking to the serpent, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. This verse is going to reveal to us that God is on a mission. This is where the first place in the Bible where God begins to reveal that he is on a mission. Now, when you read it, it looks like maybe that, you know, women are going to be afraid of snakes, and she's going to have children that will come out in front of her and smash the snakes on the head. Okay. Is that what he's saying there? Not really. There's something that's much deeper that he's wanting to show us. This is a prophecy. This is a promise that God gives Eve. He's basically telling her that, listen, you're going to have a descendant, a male descendant that's going to come out of you. That's the offspring. You're going to have an offspring. And he's going to come and crush the head of the serpent or bruise the head. Uh, There's another translation that says compress. I just love thinking of Satan's head as being compressed underneath his head, under his foot. But he's going to crush you. He's going to defeat you. See, when Satan got Adam and Eve to sin, he conquered them. He became the god of this world, the prince of the air. And so we were under his bondage. And God's like, it's not going to stay that way. Eve, I'm giving you a child. And he is going to come. He's going to crush his head and free you and bring things back to the way they were. But it's going to cost you, it's going to cost him his life. It says he will bruise his head, but the serpent will bruise his heel. The poison of a, of a serpent is where? It's in his head. And so God is prophesying the cross right here. This is the cross right here. He will bruise Satan's head and Satan will bruise his heel because it will cost Jesus his life when he made payment for our sins. And Hebrews 2, verses 14 through 16, this, this is a fulfillment of this promise. Promise. It says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he, speaking of Jesus himself, likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death, through fear of death, were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. That is good news. 
And maybe this morning you're sitting there and you're saying, ah, this just all sounds like a fairy tale. I don't know that I believe what you're saying. I don't even believe there's a serpent, you know. Well, let me let you know something. The serpent doesn't want you to believe in him. And I'll tell you somebody that does believe what I'm talking about, and that's the serpent. He believes what I'm talking about. He believed God. Because you know what he does through the rest of the book, the rest of the Old Testament? He tries to exterminate Eve's offspring. He's unsuccessful, and we'll see that next week when Steve Linhart preaches uh, from Genesis chapter 4. We're going to see that the serpent, he believes that God is going to send a Savior. And so he tries to exterminate Eve's descendants. And let me ask you this morning, are you afraid? Are you afraid of dying this morning? Um, are you afraid of anything this morning in your life? There's some situation in your life. Are you, let me ask you this also, are you aware of any guilt that you have before God? Well, this prophecy that, that I just spoke about God sending a Savior is good news. It should be good news for you because it's already been fulfilled. It's already been fulfilled through Jesus. God has provided a Savior to pay for our sins, to be punished in our place, to pay for our guilt, to pay for our guilt so we won't be afraid to come to God. And what's interesting is that while Adam and Eve were hiding and beating around the bush and blame shifting, God already had a plan in place. This is, this is amazing. He had a plan to bring us back to himself because we need to understand that there's only two types of religions in the world. There's only two. There's the Christian faith, and then there's all others. Because every other religion in the world, every single one of them teaches that in order to get right with God, you got to do something. You got to make your God happy with you. Every single religion says that. But the, the, the truth about Christianity or the faith that I'm preaching to you this morning is that there's, there's a secret that the enemy doesn't want you to understand. And I pray that right now God would open our eyes to the truth. Number one, he doesn't want you to understand that he's been defeated. He doesn't want you. He wants you to make a big deal about him. Secondly, he doesn't want you to understand that you are valuable to God. He doesn't want you to get that. Notice in our text, who's pursuing who? The innocent pursuing the guilty. God is pursuing and seeking after the lost. And it's not because he had to. God wasn't obligated to come after us. He didn't come, come after us because we were worthy. He came after us because he believed we were worth it. That's the mystery. God said they are worth it. And he reveals his plan to make us worthy. Verse 21 says, And the Lord God 
made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed themselves. This is another picture of the gospel where God takes what Adam and Eve had made, which was not sufficient, and replaces it with a skin, an animal skin. And this is a picture of the gospel because just as God had to kill something, blood had to be shed in order to cover physical nakedness, Jesus had to die. His blood had to be shed in order to cover our spiritual nakedness. And so in chapter 3, God is already revealing the gospel. And on this slide, you can see that it says, repent and believe. We're all in that circle of brokenness. And what God wants this morning is to move us all into the circle of the gospel. But in order to move that, pl- that place to that place, you have to repent. You have to turn, or w- turn around from trying to figure out things and turn to God and move towards him and believe that God has already done it through his son, Jesus. And if you will repent and believe that, then we go to the, the final stage of what we're talking about this morning, and is that we will enter into a place of recovery and we'll begin to pursue God's original design. In other words, when you come to Jesus and you fall at his feet and you begin to confess your sin fully, he does something. He does something in us. He gives us a new heart, a new mind, a new spirit. He cleanses us of all our sin, and then he comes and lives inside of us to empower us to go back to God's original design. And this morning, I want to ask you, are you confessing your sin? Confessing means to agree. Are you fully agreeing with God with whatever he has brought to you? Or are you like Adam and Eve? Let me tell you what it says in Proverbs 28, 13. It says that whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. When we confess our sin, it's like we're cleansing, fully cleansing out the gangrene that's in our wounds. And it allows God to get in there and to clean us. Psalms 32, 3 through 5 says, For when I kept silent, this is David, He says, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you. I acknowledged my sin to you. And I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. See, that's what God, in Genesis chapter 3, is wanting to do with Adam and Eve. And he's wanting to do that with us today. And so this morning, I want to extend the invitation to you. If you've never put your faith in Jesus, if you've never trusted in him, to cleanse you of your sin and to clothe you and to take away your shame, I want to encourage you that you would not leave this morning without doing that. Let's pray.